Welcome back to Brain of Blitz, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by epileptics, for epileptics, and our caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, I'll describe the after effects of the resection surgery I had in 2017. If you're new to the Brain of Blaze Epilepsy Podcast, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. On the last episode of the Brain of Blaze Epilepsy Podcast. You guys are not giving me much confidence. You might not be coming back out. Okay, we're going to get started with Mr. just call me morbidly obese? Oh god, don't let that be the last thing I remember. I was told that I was conscious when they wheeled me from the operating room to the intensive care unit. Apparently, I recognized my father and said a short greeting. I don't remember any of it. After placing his foot on the moon, Neil Armstrong spoke. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. When I woke up in the intensive care unit, I was more interested in making sure that my faculties were all in place. I went through a checklist that I had been planning for at least six weeks. I first made sure that I could remember my daughter's name. Check. Then my wife's name. Check. Then my name. Check. I made sure that I could feel all my fingers and toes. Check. Even my left hand? Check. Then I did something that I don't think a lot of people will understand. I wanted to verify that I could still code. In my head, I wrote the canonical Hello World application in every programming language I could think of. Happy that I had at least my basic faculties. I opened my eyes, expecting to see relatives waiting for me with balloons, flowers, and smiles. Unfortunately, I was alone. I found out later that my surgery had taken an extra four hours longer than expected. By that time, my father had boarded a flight destined for his hometown, and my wife, weary of waiting, had grown hungry and stepped out briefly to run to the cafeteria. I found I couldn't open my right eye. It was swollen completely shut. I had also pulled out my feeding tube somehow. I decided I needed some more rest. When I woke up again, my wife was there, and from her face, I knew I didn't look good. We've placed a picture of me on brainablaze.com for those of you willing to look at it. We made sure to put it behind a warning, as I know it will probably scare some people. It certainly scared me later when I looked at it. Friends and family did visit me in the hospital, of course, and I definitely appreciate them coming out to help me. I also had a visit from a class of medical students. The hospital at which I had surgery was a teaching hospital. We had a great session talking about the whole process I went through. And even after the surgery, I had no problem conversing. The main issue I ran into right away was the pain in my temple. My surgeon told me that to get it access to the skull, they have to cut through a tendon. The throbbing in my temple would stay there for at least several days. They had me on pain medication, of course. I used it as directed, but weaned off it rather quickly, as I was worried about building up a tolerance, or even worse, an addiction. That was probably stupid. After three days in the ICU, I was sped on a gurney through a drug-filled roller coaster ride to my hospital room. I'm sure the college-age candy scraper pushing me was very gentle, but it felt like I was taking a psychedelic boat ride with Gene Wilder, except the boat could suddenly swish any direction.
In my new room, I met my roommate, a very nice older man who, like me, was more interested in sleeping than talking. Unfortunately, his loud wife wasn't interested in letting him sleep at all. Incessantly bored, she also had a nasty habit of lurking within conversations that were 15 feet away from her husband, just to remind everybody of her husband's ailment. That's a very nice balloon. Isn't that nice, Terrence? Huh? I said, isn't that nice, Terrence? Oh, don't mind him. You know, my husband just had a brain tumor removed the size of an apricot. Yeah, an apricot. Can you imagine that? Basic tests and conversations at the hospital showed that I had accrued some side effects from the surgery. For example, it's a little harder for me to post-surgery to grasp words. I can come up with the image quite easily, but the word often eludes me. Sometimes it feels like I'm playing on that game show, $25,000 Pyramid. Uh, flying. Machine. Uh, little. Uh, bird. Uh, bird. Hummingbird. Uh, uh, hockey. Sharks. Uh, and that's not a bird. Toronto. Oh, Blue Jays? Blue Jay. Another issue is that my field of vision on the side of the surgery has narrowed somewhat. Both of those are actually two very common side effects of brain surgery. The next one seems to be a little bit more rare, and I jumped into it head first. <coughs> the first obvious warning sign appeared at the hospital when the doctors got me up on my feet for the very first time. The balance issues I had before the surgery were now tenfold. In fact, I was having vertigo. I couldn't slowly walk down the hallway without holding onto the wall. I suddenly realized that perhaps the psychedelic swishing on the gurney ride through the hospital wasn't actually due to the pain medication I was on, but something a little bit more sinister. Either way, the doctor said I passed the test and I could go home. We'd figure it out later. I took the time-honored tradition of the wheelchair ride to the exit, set up to take some pictures, and quickly entered my wife's car, destined to go home to see our daughter. I quickly realized that the tiniest movement in my head translated to huge movements in my mind. A series of tests performed weeks later showed that my vestibular system was all, quote, messed up, end quote. I'm sure that's not the medical term for it, but that's how it was described to me, so I'm passing it on to you. Your vestibular system tells you your orientation and movement. It's what fighter pilots use to figure out the up, down, left, right. If it's messed up, Again, using the doctor's words, your body really can't tell change in small directions. I can hear you asking, how does this translate to real life? Well, imagine you're walking down a long, straight, well-lit hallway. You are using all of your senses to figure out your orientation. But if you close your eyes, suddenly you have to rely on your vestibular system to give you the notion that you are walking in a straight line or not. If you're turning, the same problem arises. Unless you have eyes on your target, it is your vestibular system that is giving you a clue if you're turning too far or too fast. So, after 27 years of seizures every week, and I kind of had it down to the point where I could control my life, I'm suddenly Zoolander. Can't turn left. 
Derek, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who can't turn... I mean, there have got to be some people out there, just like you, who can't turn... turn... left. If I tried to tune too quickly, my brain would overcompensate, and I would hilariously fall down. Also, if I close my eyes while standing, you know, like everyone does when they are thinking or trying to make a hard decision, I would just slowly tip over. To put it in technology terms, my accelerometer was totally broken. The good thing is that it can be fixed. The bad thing is that while you can get your phone's accelerometer fixed just by taking it down to the booth at the mall, well, your vestibular system requires a lot more time and effort to fix. I spent about eight months of physical therapy teaching my brain how to relearn. I'm proud to say that I can walk down a long, straight, well-lit hallway, even in the dark. I'm quickly coming up to three-year anniversary of my surgery, and while I've had no seizures since, I'm still working through migraines multiple times a week. I still take medication, however it's been dramatically stepped down since the surgery. One common misconception is that once one has brain surgery, you get off your medication. Unfortunately, this usually is not the case. I'll probably be on medication for the rest of my life, just at a very small dosage. Of course, that is why I continue to have a neurologist to advise me. And yes, I'm still morbidly obese. And this lockdown is really not helping things. We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any other episode. You can reach out to us via email at social at or at Twitter at BrainAblaze. If you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. One small click really does help. See you next time.